This is an audio version of The Welfare Range Table by Bob Fisher, published on the 7th of November 2022. Heading Key Takeaways This is formatted as a list of points. Here's the first. Our objective Estimate the welfare ranges of 11 farmed species. Next point Given hedonism, an individual's welfare range is the difference between the welfare level associated with the most intense positively valenced state that the individual can realise and the welfare level associated with the most intense negatively valenced state that the individual can realise. Next point, given some prominent theories about the functions of valenced states, we identified over 90 empirical proxies that might provide evidence of variation in the potential intensities of those states. Next point, There are many unknowns across many species. Next, it's rare to have evidence that animals lack a given trait. Next point, we know less about the presence or absence of traits as we move from terrestrial vertebrates to most invertebrates. Next point, many of the traits about which we know the least are affective traits. Next point, we do have information about some significant traits for many animals. Heading Introduction. This is the second post in the Moral Weight Project sequence, and there's a link to that sequence page here in the post. The aim of the sequence is to provide an overview of the research that Rethink Priorities conducted between May 2021 and October 2022 on interspecific cause prioritisation, that is, making resource allocation decisions across species. The aim of this post is to provide an overview of the welfare range table which records the results of a literature review covering over 90 empirical traits across 11 farmed species. Heading. Motivations. If we want to do as much good as possible, we have to compare all the ways of doing good, including ways that involve helping members of different species. The Moral Weight Project's assumptions entail that everyone's welfare counts the same and that all welfare improvements count equally. Still, some may be able to realise more welfare than others. We're particularly interested in how much welfare different individuals can realise at a time. That is, their respective welfare ranges. An individual's welfare range is the difference between the best and worst welfare states the individual can realise at a time. We assume hedonism, according to which all and only positively valenced states increase welfare, and all and only negatively valenced states decrease welfare. Given as much... An individual's welfare range is the difference between the welfare level associated with the most intense positively valenced state that the individual can realise and the welfare level associated with the most intense negatively valenced state that the individual can realise. In the case of pigs, for instance, that might be the difference between the welfare level we associate with being fully healthy on a farm sanctuary, on the one hand, and a botched slaughter on the other. If there's variation in welfare ranges across taxa, then there's variation in the capacities that generate the determinants of welfare. So if there's such variation, and hedonism is true, then there's variation in the capacities that generate positively and negatively valenced experiences. As Jason Shulcraft argues, we don't have any good direct measures of the intensity of valenced states that let us make interspecific comparisons. Indeed, We rely on indirect measures even in humans, behaviour, psychological changes and verbal reports. We can observe behaviour and physiological changes in non-humans, but most of them aren't verbal. 
so we have to rely on other indirect proxies. Piecing together an understanding from animals' cognitive and affective traits or capabilities. The welfare range table includes over 90 such traits, some behavioural, others physiological, some more cognitive, others more effective. Then it indicates whether the empirical literature provides reason to think that the members of 11 farm species possess those traits. Heading, methodology. Our team was composed of three philosophers, two comparative psychologists, one with expertise in birds, another with expertise in cephalopods, two fish welfare researchers, two entomologists, an animal welfare scientist and a veterinarian. To select proxies for variation in the capacities that generate positively and negatively valenced experiences, we needed to rely on general theoretical considerations. In this case, we relied on theories about the function of valenced experiences, that is, their adaptive value for organisms who have them. There are three main theories about the function of valenced experiences. The first is that they allow organisms to represent fitness-relevant information, like, that's good, or that's really good, or that's bad, or that's really bad, etc. And here's a reference to Cutter and Tai, 2011. The second is that they provide a common currency for decision-making, like, A is better than B. Here's a reference to Ginsberg and Jablonka, 2019. The third is that they facilitate learning, like, if X, then A, or if Y, then B. Here's a reference to Damasio and Cavallo, 2013. So, we looked for empirical traits that arguably bear some relation to information representation, decision-making and learning, via valenced experiences. You can find an annotated list of those traits at a link here in the post. For each taxon trait pair, we began with searches via Google Scholar. Then we looked at the references in recent reviews. If none of those sources provides positive or negative evidence, we searched via Web of Science. Then we broadened the search. If, for instance, the target trait hadn't been studied in the relevant species, we looked at the family. If the trait hadn't been studied in the relevant family, we looked at the order. If it seemed plausible that the results of the study generalised to the target species, for example, because of other shared traits or similar ecological niches, then we included those results as well. Based on the evidence available for each taxon and trait, we made one of five assessments. Here's a list of five points. Likely no. Credence 0% to 25%. Lean no. Credence more than 25%, less than 50%. Unknown, credence 50%. Lean yes, credence more than 50% to 75%. Likely yes, more than 75% to 100%. These broad credence ranges are about trait possession. Do members of the taxon have the trait or not? Not degree of possession. Relative to humans, to what degree do the members of this taxon possess this trait? The assessments are based on the existing published scholarly literature as of August 2022, with unknown being the default assessment in cases where there was no literature that spoke fairly directly to a given taxon trait pair. After completing the literature reviews, we performed two quality checks. First, we checked for consistency. In our initial review, for instance, honeybees got a lean yes for transitive inference, whereas pigs got a lean no. A closer look revealed that researchers were holding these animals to different standards. In this particular case, we opted to flip pigs to lean yes. 
as the lower standard seemed reasonable for our purposes. Second, we commissioned spot checks of 15% of the traits per taxon from someone who had not been involved with the initial literature review for that taxon. Across all the taxon trait combinations, the spot checkers didn't flip any positive responses, likely yes or lean yes, to negative responses, likely no or lean no, or vice versa. However, they did flip a handful of unknown responses to lean yes. Heading results. The welfare range table is available at a link here in the original post. However, the following diagrams provide a more digestible visual representation of most of the information we gathered, excluding physiological proxies. Audio note, if you're using a player that supports this feature, you should be able to see these images on your screen now, and I'll just provide a brief description of them for you. This won't be fully comprehensive, so if you'd like to check it out in intricate detail, you can do so in the post. So here we have a clever graph arrangement where we have bar graphs for each of pig, chicken, carp, salmon, octopus, shrimp, crab, crayfish, bee, black soldier fly, and silkworm. Then from the bottom of that bar graph, we have an extension of the bars which spirals around. And each radiating line of segments around this spiral has a number, from 1 to 47, and those numbers correspond to different capacities that are listed below. So we have taste aversion behaviour, reward-based learning, panic-like behaviour, hyperalgesia, guilt-like behaviour, jealousy-like behaviour, sadness-like behaviour, maternal response to offspring distress, and many more. And then around that circle, each coloured segment that corresponds to an animal and a behaviour, so for example, pig and taste aversion behaviour, we have a colour-coded segment, likely yes in this case. As another random example, play vocalisation is present in pigs as well. Likely yes. But likely no for octopus. And now we have a very similar graph that follows the same model, except this time it's cognitive proxies. We have the same animals once again, and we notice that cumulatively pigs have the most once again, followed by chickens. The rest are a fair bit lower. Interestingly, bees have many likely yes capacities. In this case, more than pigs and chickens. When added cumulatively from the 35 available cognitive proxies. The author's writing continues. We should highlight a few key results. First, as these diagrams suggest, there are many unknowns. This shouldn't be surprising. In many cases, no one has been interested in investigating these traits. In many other cases, no one knows how to investigate them. Moreover, insofar as it's easier to publish positive results than negative results, academics have an incentive to study traits that they already expect to find. So, the literature is probably biased toward relatively sure things, in the interest of guaranteeing that people avoid walking away from their research empty-handed, that is, without publications. This point is relevant to, and partially explains, the second key result, which is that there are very few negative results. The table below indicates the percentage of proxies for which we were able to find some information, whether positive or negative. As the table indicates, information of any kind generally declines from terrestrial vertebrates to invertebrates. Audio note, once again, you can see an image of this table if your player supports that feature. This table is a little big for me to read out row by row, but I'll note again that we have the same animals, pig, chicken, carp, salmon, octopus, shrimp, crab, crayfish, bee, black soldier fly, and silkworm. We have columns for all proxies, there's n equals 90 for that, cognitive proxies, 35, hedonic proxies, 47, and representational complexity proxies, 8. And I'll just go down the column for all proxies, 
Pig, we have 72.2. Chicken, 67.8. Carp, 52.2. Salmon, 38.9. Octopus, 54.2. Shrimp, 25.6. Crab, 24.4. Crayfish, 28.9. Bee, 45.6. Black soldier fly, 22.2. And silkworm, 20. The authors write, As the next table makes clear, many of the traits about which we know the least are affective. So here's a smaller table that shows low literature proxies for all animal groups, with a known percentage. And all of the known percentages are zero except for the last one. So zeros are for memory bias, response slowing, shared intentionality, embarrassment-like behaviour, guilt-like behaviour, pride-like behaviour, sadness-like behaviour, shame-like behaviour, sympathy-like behaviour, And then for body awareness, 9.1% known. The authors write, On one level, this shouldn't be surprising either. Given scientists' determination not to anthropomorphise animals, that is, attribute human characteristics to non-humans. Unfortunately, scientists seem to worry less about what Franz de Waal calls anthropodenial. That is, quote, the a priori rejection of shared characteristics between humans and animals. End quote. Still, these results are concerning insofar as we think that the welfare impacts of valenced states are additive, where the welfare impacts of experiences stack, in quotes, on top of one another. On such a view, experiencing maximal pain and shame, for instance, is worse than experiencing maximal pain alone. So if we don't know whether animals can experience shame, we don't know something that bears directly on their welfare ranges. However, it might not be the case that valenced states are additive. It could be that when you're experiencing maximal pain, you're unable to experience anything else as pain consumes all your attention. If that's right, then while information about many valenced states might be highly relevant to assessing welfare impacts, how animals are actually faring, it isn't necessarily important for assessing welfare ranges, how animals could fare. At least if pain states are the most intense negatively valenced states that animals can experience. That said... It isn't completely obvious that pain states are the most intense negatively valenced states that animals can experience. So that provides some motivation for attending to other kinds of negatively valenced states. Moreover, while we're sceptical that negative experiences are additive, we aren't certain. So we assign some credence to the additive view. In expectation, then, we take information about the breadth of animals' emotional lives to be relevant to their welfare ranges. In any case... One final point to note is that we do have information about some significant traits for many animals, as the following table indicates. So here's a similar table to the last one, with known percentages for different high literature proxies across all animal groups. We have a bunch that are 100% and many that are 90.9%. So for 90.9% we have cooperative behaviour, multimodal integration and anxiety-like behaviour. And then for 100% known we have communication, individual differences slash personality in quotes, motivational trade-off, navigation strategies, reversal learning, parental care, and taste aversion behaviour. The authors continue. Parental care, for instance, provides some evidence of the range of affective states available to an organism, as does anxiety-like behaviour. Multimodal integration is often touted as a key piece of evidence for sentience, as is the capacity to make trade-offs but both traits are also relevant to welfare ranges insofar as they come in degrees, as suggested by the presence or absence of other traits. Heading. A clarification and some limitations. 
To be clear, the welfare range table does not automatically supply welfare range estimates. It's one thing to collect data that are relevant to welfare ranges. It's another thing to score and aggregate them. In this post, we're only discussing the data. We'll defer the question of scoring and aggregation until later in the moral weight project sequence. The welfare range table is the first of its kind. Inevitably, then, it has several limits. Among them, here's a numbered list. 1. Our searches in related taxa were limited. In the interest of completing the project in a reasonable time frame, we tried to limit the search for each taxon trait pair to one hour. In fact, we often spent two or three hours per taxon trait pair. Still, spending more time would have made it possible to investigate a wider range of related taxa for each taxon trait pair. Two, the proxy list could be expanded. We opted for an inclusive approach to the proxies. This made the project enormous. Still, there are many other traits that could have been included, and in some cases perhaps ought to have been included in a list of this length. 3. The proxy list could be refined. There are two senses in which the proxy list could be refined. First, some proxies may not be sufficiently informative about animals' welfare ranges. Though of course this is hardly obvious, as we don't have an independent way to assess how informative they are. Second, many of the proxies are relatively coarse-grained. Consider a trait like reversal learning, namely the ability to suppress a reward-related response, which involves stopping one behaviour and switching to another. This trait comes in degrees. Some animals can learn to suppress a reward-related response in fewer trials. And having learned to suppress a reward-related response at all, some can suppress their response more quickly. A more sophisticated version of the table would account for this variation. 4. Academics are biased toward unknown, in quotes. We thought it was important to have domain experts review the literature wherever possible. However, domain experts are academics. Academics are socialised into a community where it's inappropriate to make some positive claim, like pigs have this trait, or pigs lack that trait, without being able to establish that claim to the satisfaction of your peers. There are good reasons to value this socialization in the present case. For instance, it's difficult to predict which traits an organism will have based on its other traits. Moreover, it's difficult to predict whether one kind of organism will have a trait because a related kind of organism does. Still, even though the probability ranges we mentioned earlier establish a very low bar for lean yes and lean no, above and below 50% respectively, we defaulted to unknown in quotes when we couldn't find any relevant literature. Even if our approach is defensible, other reasonable literature reviewers may have had more lean yes and lean no assessments than we did. That's the end of that list of limits of the welfare range table. The text continues. We could address these issues in the future. With enough time, for example, we could make inferences about trade possession from more distant taxa. Or we could make efforts to include any neglected high-value proxies, eliminate relatively low-value proxies, and refine the proxies insofar as that's possible. Finally, we could try using a missing data method to account for systematic trends in the unknowns. Heading. Conclusion. The welfare range table is the first attempt to assess a wide range of welfare-relevant traits in such a diverse array of taxa. It represents an initial but significant step towards estimating the differences in animals' welfare ranges. If it proves to be valuable then it ought to be extended, as we didn't examine many important species. While we prioritised many of the most farmed taxa, 
There are many others that humans farm in extraordinary numbers. In particular, it would be good to investigate more fishes and invertebrates. Heading Acknowledgements. Here is a Rethink Priorities logo. This research is a project of Rethink Priorities. It was written by Bob Fisher. Thanks to Jason Shawcraft and Adam Shriver for much of the conceptual work behind the project. Thanks to Rachel Norman, Martina Scheistel, Alex Schnell and Anna Trevathan for helpful feedback on earlier versions of this post. Thanks to Megan Barrett, Lee Gaffney, Michelle Lavery, Rachel Miller, Martina Scheistel, Alex Schnell and Alex Trevathan for their extensive literature reviews. Thanks to Jamie Elsie for the visuals. If you're interested in RP's work, you can learn more by visiting our research database linked here in the post. For regular updates, please consider subscribing to our newsletter also linked here in the post. This was an audio version of the Welfare Range Table by Bob Fisher, published on the 7th of November 2022. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.